1060 KDUS Tempe Phoenix and KSLX HD2 Scottsdale Phoenix. It's now time to enter the sports zone with your host, Bob Kemp. On third down and four, Borgay throws. End zone, right side, Conyers holds it in. Three touchdowns, and that one was spectacular. Delora, deep drop, feeling the pressure. Flushed out, Delora floats it, open, touchdown, Michael Wiley. What a play. Craycraft on the move. Thompson's got the ball. Here they come, and there he goes with a wobbly pass. It's picked off! And that's the first interception by Gardner. Walker slams it toward the left field corner, and it's gone! Christian Walker in the ninth in Minnesota, and the Diamondbacks have a 3-2 lead. Oh, he smoked it down the line and into those left field seats. 3-0, if it's to his liking, yes, he will hack. High fly ball, green light on the 3-0. That is a grand slam for Mookie Betts. Unbelievably, it is 8-5. 3-0, middle in. I guess that's to his liking. Hosey again awaits the 2-2 pitch from Kopech. Here it comes. A swing and a smash to first by the diving Vaughn. Down the right field line. Kicks into the corner. Ramirez on his way to second. Head first slide. Safe and in to score is Jimenez. And another hustle double. Right over the bag at first. Now Hosey and Anderson square off. They're fighting. They're swinging. Down goes Anderson. Down goes Anderson. Dial 602-260-1060. That's 602-260-1060. Or tweet the show at KDUSAM1060. And now, here's your sports own guide, Bob Kemp, on KDUSAM1060. Welcome to the Tuesday, August 8th edition of the Sports Zone. Not just the news and scores, the news and scores with analysis. In today's Sports Zone, right here on KDUS AM 1060 and Castlux HD 2 100.7. ASU and the U of A, are you sad they're leaving the Pac 12 for the Big 12? Meanwhile, the Diamondbacks, will you watch? Uh, not the Diamondbacks, I'll get to them next. Hard Knocks, that's next to number two here. Hard Knocks, will you watch the Aaron Rodgers-led Jets? That starts tonight. The Diamondbacks, what must they do to turn it around the next two days against the Dodgers? The Padres, is it now time to count them out? And one more time, down goes Anderson. Did Major League Baseball get these suspensions right? And what else caught your eye since our last show? All right, here's today's schedule lineup on the show, which is the most informative sports talk Monday through Friday. In moments, we have the introduction of today's pipeline. 9.15, an ASU sports update with Doug Hallery from The Athletic. 9.30, the uh, interactive action portion, 602-260-1060, and also the local roundup. I'll include a little Cardinals uh, from the last few days. I didn't get everything quite in yesterday that we observed on Saturday when uh, 
we went to the uh, red-white practice. We'll kind of fill in the blanks and maybe even repeat a couple of things. And if you missed it uh, yesterday, you're all caught up. And then the final segment of the sports zone to be the national roundup. That will include from the MLB scoreboard, Dodgers win, Giants win, bad for the Diamondbacks in both counts. Then after the sports zone, from 10 to noon, it's the extra point hosted by, sorry, 10 to noon, not today. Uh, then no, no, no extra point today because it's Tuesday. I'll get it. I'll get it together here. Trust me. At some point here, stay tuned to see if I get it together. Uh, so then again, after that final national roundup segment, I'm done for the day. Right now, onto the pipeline before I just bury myself further. Time for today's Pipeline, where the host reveals the hot topics for discussion. All right. Take two. Forget that first part of the segment even happened. Uh, We start with the KDUS poll question at KDUS1060.com. Today's question is, are you sad that ASU and the U of A are leaving the Pac-12 for the Big 12? And uh, Corey's hearing as the early returns. Right now, we're split down the middle, 50-50, yes and no on KDUS1060.com. The Arizona schools seem to have little choice but to make the move to the Big 12 for financial reasons. And uh, when factoring in the still compromised and not very competitive remaining schools in the Big 12. Today's Twitter poll question, are you going to watch Hard Knocks with the New York Jets? That begins tonight on HBO. And once again, Corey has early returns. Leading right now is no, 88.9% of the vote. Yes, 11.1% on KDUSAM1060 on Twitter. Okay, so people either don't have HBO, Hater and Rogers, or maybe don't like football. Uh, so how much will Aaron Rodgers be featured? And can the suspect Jets offensive line block the Jets defensive front, which is one of the best in the NFL? Those are certainly things to monitor the next five weeks in Hard Knocks, which begins this evening. Meanwhile, back on the local front, the Diamondbacks, losers of six straight, return home tonight to face the Dodgers, who have won six out of seven and scored more than six runs per game since July the 1st. What must the Diamondbacks do the next two nights against the mighty Dodgers? Kind of a broad question there. Meanwhile, spanning the globe, speaking of the Dodgers, they scored 13 straight runs on Monday after they fell down 5-0 at San Diego, which uh, resembled a team that uh, basically quit after falling behind in that game yesterday. Is it now time, not like the first time I've asked this, but is it now time to give up on the Padres, who are still loved by the metrics people? The metrics people don't factor in baseball IQ and heart, into their numbers but uh maybe they should try to figure out a way to do that because this team has been spinning its wheels and not very good for weeks but i keep hearing oh don't want to play them in the playoffs well they got to make the playoffs and i don't think they're going to do that either but all this padres love is hysterical to me meanwhile major league baseball announced the down goes anderson suspensions on monday The White Sox, Tim Anderson, suspended for six games. Jose Ramirez suspended for three games. uh, For uh, those guys started the the Saturday night rumble. Um, Whoever you'd like to make, you can make a case for either guy really started it. But anyway, 
they were the instigators for sure. All right, so did Major League Baseball get it right? Six games for Tim Anderson and three games for Jose Ramirez. Also, in addition to all these excellent questions and topics, what else caught your eye since our last show? All right, that's the pipeline for today. We've got all these tremendous topics and much more during today's sensational one-hour radio program. Anything else in your mind falls into the general discussion category, so whether it's from the pipeline or a sports topic on your mind, 602 260 1060, or you can tweet the show at KDUSAM1060 or twitter.com slash KDUSAM1060. Basically, the only rules are accuracy and objectivity. If you violate those rules or if you're just simply bad, you will be the target of this. Coming up next, Corey, we'll have a news update. That'll be followed by ASU and the U of A. On to the Big 12. We'll discuss with Doug Haller from The Athletic. I'll try to cover as many areas as humanly possible in a one-segment deal with Doug. And I'm sure he'll have much more to add than I'm aware of right now. So stay tuned for that. Once again, at the bottom of the hour, it'll be phone call time. General discussion, 602-260-1060. Plus the local roundup, that'll be topped by some Cardinals discussion, a few leftovers from the weekend and the red-white scrimmage, which uh, Kayla and myself attended on Saturday. Cardinals made a roster move yesterday, which should help, I think. Uh, And also we'll get to a little of the Diamondbacks starting that series tonight against the Dodgers. You're listening to Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and KSLUX HD 2 100.7. KDUS AM 1060 into your home with Alexa. Hi, I'm Alexa. Download the KDUS AM 1060 skill and enable. Then say, Alexa, open KDUS AM 1060. This is where I start my day. Welcome back to the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and KSLUX HD 2 100.7. You're on the Dan Patrick Show live Monday through Friday from 6 to 9 a.m. The Conference of Champions, as we know it, uh, died last Friday, effective with the issue and the U of A joining the other soon-to-be former conference members, uh, finding new places uh, starting next sports season, 2024, in essence, like a year from now, out to the KDUS hotline we go. We're now joined the sports zone by Doug Howard, the Athletic. Doug, always good to have you. And uh, you know, what's it been like covering the Pac-12 these last few months, among your many duties at the Athletic? It really kind of started last summer when uh, UCLA and USC uh, announced it'd be leaving for the Big 12, and it's certainly escalated since that point. Yeah, hi, Bob. Um, yeah, I think everyone could, uh, after USC and UCLA left, um, everyone wondered what was going to happen, obviously, to the Pac-12, and everyone kind of had, there was a little bit of concern there, uh, losing the L.A. market and what effect that would have on the media rights deal that the commissioner, George Klyovkov, was pursuing. You know, but then once Colorado left, you, it, you know, I wrote it was kind of like an avalanche. You could see it coming. You could feel the vibration, um, and then once last week hit, it just came down, and all of a sudden it was here, and it just kind of demolished everything. Um, crazy how it unfolded. I don't think I've ever experienced anything in my career where a power conference or anything uh, equivalent 
just kind of disappeared <laughs> and went away uh, in a span of 24 hours. It was just, it, it was it was crazy. I mean, that's the only way to describe it. From the time that uh, you know the the rumor started that uh, that uh, that Arizona was had applied for Pac-12 membership or Big 12 membership to the next day, it was kind of a yo-yo, and then all of a sudden it just hit. Okay, so let's try to cover as much of these things as we can here. ASU, led by Michael, Michael Crow, apparently really didn't want to leave the conference. At least that's been their long-term stand. Did he and ASU misread the situation, or uh, at this point, did it even really matter? I don't think – I think Michael Crow is too smart to misread anything. Um, but he was committed to staying to the Pac-12. Now – I was down in Tucson yesterday, and Robert Roberts, their president, said that those two, the two rival schools, were, you know, in lockstep throughout all this. I don't know if that's the case. Um, you know, I think U of A uh, was ready to go. Um, I was down there for uh, Arizona's media day on Tuesday, and when Jed Fish was asked what Arizona needs, what the football program needs, he said stability, <laughs> and that is not what the Pac-12 was offered in some time. So I left that day, Bob thinking, okay, they're, they're ready to move. Um, and then when it came down to it, I, I think Michael Crow, even without U of A, I think U of A, if forced, would have left on its own. They denied this, but I think they would have. And I think ASU would have been content to stick around and make the best of it. Now, you know, with the Apple deal and everything else, the interesting thing about that is, is that Michael Crow said he liked the Apple deal, and it seems that he was willing to stick with it. Even though you know it came with a far <laughs> lesser payout, now, he said that the media overplaced TV money to to an extent, but you know getting twenty three million dollars as opposed to what the, the the Big Twelve was offering just under thirty two that's a big difference. That's a huge competitive advantage, and it's interesting to me that you know Michael Crow was willing to side with Apple and almost choose innovation um, <laughs> over competitive balance. It didn't get to that point, obviously, with Washington and Oregon leaving. I left the issue with no choice, but I think that's an interesting element in all this. Okay, let's kind of go back a few steps here, a few years, quite frankly. How much did the ill-fated uh, Pac-12 network, the brainchild of previous commissioner Larry Scott, factor into the conference demise? Well, it's certainly a, a leading factor. Um, you know, I tell everyone this. I get asked that often is that, you know, Larry Scott made some, some well-documented missteps, but at the same time, you know, Larry, Do Larry Scott was also operating uh, under what the Pac-12 presidents and chancellors wanted. So, you know, he was just carrying out their orders um, <laughs> a lot of the way. At the same time, it was his responsibility to kind of present and persuade uh, the Pac-12 leadership on what was best for the conference. But, you know, I mean, they had, they've had chances to expand. Um, you know, there's, you know, when the Big 12, uh, when, when, Oklahoma and Texas left for the SEC or announced that they were leaving for the SEC. You know, Robert Robbins, the UA president yesterday, said that he, he heard from a lot of Big 12 uh, presidents, leaders, saying, hey, <laughs> help us out. We need, we need a stable home. And the Pac-12 decided, you know, that it wasn't, expansion wasn't for them at that time. That, that, to me, is a huge turning point in all this because the Pac-12 really could have taken, they could have been the aggressors, they could have turned this into their favor. Mm -hmm. They chose not to. Uh, and that's where people kind of kind of come in and say, well, there's a lot of elitism, a lot of, you know, maybe it's the Pac-12 presidents has been a little too snobbish. Those are strong words, but I see how people use them because uh, the Pac-12 had a chance to expand and 
kind of turned their noses up at that time. Okay, you mentioned the television contract situation. Does, does it even matter right at this point who the conference commissioner is after the events of the past few years? Was that Were they just doomed from the start, at least uh, in these recent negotiations for the new contract, quote-unquote? Well, in, in the Pac-12 uh, situation, you know, their, their commissioner came in at a really difficult time. Uh, you know, the damage with the Pac-12 network and how that didn't pay off. You know, I think probably, I don't know if he could have prevented USD and UCLA from leaving. Uh, maybe he could have done more to try to convince them to stay, but I, I don't know about that. But losing the L.A. market was huge. <laughs> I mean, just huge as far as you're, you're pursuing a TV media or a multimedia uh, media rights deal, and you lose the L.A. market. That is, that's incredible, <laughs> incredibly misfortune, incredible misfortune right there. And then not only that, you know, the Pac-12 didn't do a good job of kind of controlling its narrative. I mean, it kind of left it up to the media. It took a lot of shots. Um, and it just, you know, it was a bad time for the economy. A lot of the media companies were laying people off. It was just a terrible time to be in that situation. Now, the Pac-12 did not help themselves at all. I wonder if they maybe should have expanded before they got to that point. That's not the route they chose. And it just, <laughs> it just did not work out for them at all. Talking with Doug Haller from The Athletic. Okay, let's kind of get to the local side of things here. Uh, let's start with ASU. First-year ASU football coach Kenny Dillingham. Uh, he's certainly been gung-ho about returning home to coach the Sun Devils, returning home for him. Uh, do you think his enthusiasm has wavered uh, any with the switch to the Big 12? Not, not at all. I mean, at least not. I'm not out there every day, but not from the comments that I've heard. In fact, I don't know if I've heard, and I haven't listened to every Pac-12 coach, but of the coaches leaving, uh, there hasn't been a lot of like remorse or sadness for <laughs> for the for the uh, crumbling Pac-12. It's been a lot of uh, we're you know full for or full throttle ahead. We're going to go through this season, but we're really excited about the Big 12. I think if you would ask the athletic department members, the um, the football coaches, I think they were completely honest. I think they would tell you that we had to do this. There's no um, there, there was no other option. And in fact, in some of my reporting for all this went down, it was interesting, Bob. The people I talked to on the athletic department side, uh, who admittedly said that they're, they're not, they don't know all the details, and, and this was really tight-lipped at the highest level of, of higher education. Um, the athletic department people unanimously, from the ones I talked to, said we have to do it. The higher up you went, and those people were harder to, to get and to find to comment. Um, even on background or whatever, they they were a little bit more. Let's see how this goes. But I, I think just about in my from my reporting, um, all the athletic department people were like saying, "Hey, we have no choice. We have to make this move." Okay, so you mentioned the LA market, obviously for TV reasons. Also, it's a big recruiting base. So after moving to the Big Twelve, how does ASU's recruiting approach uh, change uh, with football and basketball specifically? Well, football, I, I think, I mean, Kenny Dillingham mentioned this, and you can look at the commitments that they've uh, secured um, since his arrival. They've been recruiting Texas pretty well. So um, whether or not that was part of the strategy, he said it was, you know, thinking that one day we might be in the Big 12. Uh, if, it, if that were the case, that's smart. But I think they'll be fine there. Um, historically, ASU has been at its best when it's recruited California well and had a presence there. So I don't think it would be smart to kind of just ignore California, but you still need to have a presence there. Basketball is kind of weird. 
uh, in that, you know, I think it's more of a national thing, especially, mm-hmm. you know, the transfer portal. Yeah. You know, you could take four or five transfer guys in a year and, and pretty much overhaul your roster. So I'm not sure uh, how much Bobby Hurley or anybody's recruiting strategy would change in basketball. Um, obviously, you just kind of go out there since you're, you're only getting – uh, a smaller number of guys. You just go out and get the best guys you can, regardless of where they're from. Okay, so speaking of Hurley, I mean, they've she's been recently in what I would call a top-heavy Pac-12. They go to the Big 12, which I think has been college basketball's best conference in at least two or three years, maybe even a little longer than that. So what's this, mean for Hur- what's this mean for Hurley in the basketball program? Well, yeah, uh, the Big 12 – is monster in basketball and uh you know asu has had some some luck going into the big 12 everyone remembers going into lawrence and beating kansas one of the the more exciting games and probably the biggest victory that i covered on the asu beat uh certainly a game that i'll always remember um and then beat kansas when they came back so they still they can compete but you know doing that on a weekly basis against some of those schools will be difficult you know i i feel like that is probably you know, a, a question mark and a concern, like how will Arizona State basketball, who's been traditionally, uh, with with some exceptions, been kind of a mid-level Pac-12 program, and now you're going to a conference that's a little bit stronger from top to bottom. How are they going to compete? Uh, I think they were going to have to, and, and it might raise their profile, too, being in the Big 12. They might get uh, in on some recruits they otherwise wouldn't have. I don't know about that. But uh, I think <laughs> I think it's going to be, it could be, a, it's going to be a challenging transition, I would think. You mentioned the U of A. Uh, it seems as if, uh, you know, from afar, on my you know, point of view here, uh, that they've been more enthused about moving for a while. Uh, so is that primary because the U of A is a, quote, basketball school and joining the Big 12, a basketball conference? Well, I think that's part of it. Uh, I mean, that's their one, you know, trump card, right? Uh, you know, the football program is still, I mean, it's it's been among the, the worst in the country the last few years, and Jed Fish has done a really good job of, of positioning them to make the next the, the next step, which would be bowl eligibility. It'll be interesting to see if, if that happens this year. But you know, basketball is 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 their trump card, and now they're joining a conference where they can form rivalries with Kansas, you know, with Baylor, uh, with some really really strong basketball schools. I think that's something that uh, is not only good for them, but it's good for the for the Big Twelve as well. Um, so yeah, I think I think that'll be good for them. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. It seemed like to me, and that's why I, I kind of questioned whether ASU and U of A were kind of together, and the Board of mm-hmm. Regents wanted to keep them together, just because you know to me it seemed like they were they were going to go regardless, even if it was against the Board of Regents' wishes. Um, I don't know that for a fact, but it seems like just from what everyone has said, the intel that I've gathered, it seemed like they were they were they were ahead of ASU on saying, hey, let's go. And it would have been interesting to see if ASU said, or if Oregon and Washington would have decided to stay, ASU stays, what U of A would have done. All right, so this is the final year of the conference uh, configuration as we know it. So is this going to be a, kind of a nostalgia fest or kind of a good riddance farewell? <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's going it's to be more uh, on the nostalgia side. I, I've already been starting to think about that, about you know, final road trips and, and, and games that you have to highlight, moments that you have to go back. And you know, I know a lot of people have already written the, the, the Pac-12 obituary. Um, I wasn't convinced that was going to, you know, the Pac-12 was going to completely go away. But now with the, the news about Cal and Stanford 
Um, <laughs> I don't I don't see how it survives, which 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 is amazing to me. I mean, it's just if you just think about it, it's just mind blowing how you know where we were at Pac-12 Media Day uh, not even a month ago, and you know everything that unfolded there. And there may not even be right now. It looks like there probably won't be a Pac-12 Media Day next year. It, it's amazing. It's sad. Um, it's the way of college sports these days, and it's kind of a runaway train, and no one really seems to know where it's going, uh, which is troubling. Um, but no one. I mean, the you know everyone said you know Robert Robbins at U of A said it. Michael Crow has said it. Yeah, there's concern about it. Well, <laughs> no one's doing anything about it, so it's just going to continue. But. It's going to be an interesting season, and there will be a lot of, like, laughs. This is the last time ASU does this. This will be the last time UVA goes here. Yeah. Um, so it, it will be uh, – it, I'm looking forward to kind of to doing the stories behind it. So what what happens here? Is, uh, you know, Oregon State and Washington State – excuse me, Oregon State and Washington State, yeah. Oregon State and Washington State, do they join, like, the Mountain West? How's – how do you think this works or doesn't work or ends up is a better way to put that? Yeah, that seems to kind of be, you know, the leading thought at this time. But, you know, I, I still think that there's probably some things that we don't know about that yet. Um, you know, is it possible that the Big 12 decides to bring them in? Um, I don't know. I, I mean, right now it does look like the Mountain West would probably be the where they end up, but uh, it's interesting for in Oregon State's case because you know they're a top twenty-five school. Jonathan Smith has them, you know, on the rise, you know, and it's already been yeah. written like, you know, if you're going to cheer for a Pac-12 school this year, cheer for the Beavers because, um, you know, they're the one of the schools left out of all this, and yet, you know, they, ha- you know, they're going to have a good team. They're going to be worth watching. So, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, that that's the unfortunate part of it. Um, you know, <laughs> they were always kind of. I always enjoyed going to Corvallis. I just, I thought it was a fun trip. I think it was real pretty there uh, in fall. Washington State, not so much. But uh, that's the realignment. That's the realignment game. Is that you know, for all the winners going to bigger conferences, bigger, bigger paydays. There's always a few schools left behind. Yeah, crazy as it sounds, I don't think it's nuts that Oregon State actually wins the Pac-12 in football this year. I like their team. When when Oregon State, I mean, it's, Oregon State plays kind of the brand of football that's fun to watch. You appreciate it. Um, you know, and you know it's never been easy for them. You know, they're not uh, – I don't know what their NIL collective situation is, but, you know, I probably would guess they're, they're not competing uh, for every kid or winning uh, yeah. any sort of NIL deal with, against, you know, kids that Oregon's recruiting. So it's kind of a – it's a good story. If they, it will be a great story if they do win, if they do end up with a pack vote with everything that's happened. What a wonderful thing player development is once you actually get them into your school. <laughs> <laughs> Not only get them, but keep them. I mean, that, that's the big part now. I mean, player that, That's true. Player development is kind of almost in danger because once you get them, you know, player development turns to just one season because you just don't know what's going to happen uh, in the offseason and you know, what, what kids might do these days. That's also very true. All right, Doug, thanks. Never a dull moment, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. Thanks, Bob. I appreciate it. Doug Haller from The Athletic. Read all his stuff. And, uh, of course, uh, not just covering uh, ASU and the uh, Pac-12 these days, but uh, Valley Sports uh, and all kinds of good stuff from Doug. So check him out at The Athletic. All right, next segment, phone call time, 602-260-1060 if you want to jump aboard. General discussion. Also get a local local roundup in. Uh, We'll hear uh, Aaron Decker's uh, Cardinals training camp report. 
Uh, time pending, I'll get to some uh, you know, few things that I didn't quite get to yesterday as far as uh, the Cardinals. I went to my first Cardinals practice for this training camp on Saturday. Kayla and I went out there to Glendale and uh, watched the uh, red-white uh, scrimmage or whatever they call that. I guess it's a practice now, uh, officially. Uh, used to be the scrimmage back in the day, probably until Marcel Ship basically had his career ruined in Flagstaff one Friday night many years ago. You're listening to the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and Castellux HD 2 100.7. It's time for today's local roundup. Welcome back to the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and KSLUX HD2 100.7. Once again, I thank Doug Haller from The Athletic. Excellent insight regarding ASU and uh, the U of A leaving for the uh, Big 12 Conference after their, uh, the upcoming sports and academic year. Uh, so good stuff there. And uh, hopefully uh, you know, we got in as much as we could during that segment. A couple of... Uh, yeah, I've got more questions usually than we have time for, but I think we covered the main primary things, I hope. So uh, if you missed that last segment, uh, you can podcast after we get done with the show today. All right, on to the local roundup. It is phone call time. If you want to jump aboard, general discussion, 602-260-1060. And let's uh, get to the local roundup. And let's actually start the local roundup with Aaron Decker's daily Cardinals training camp report. With the Arizona Cardinals coming off a lively practice on Saturday and heading into their first game week, it was no surprise that Monday's practice was back to a slower pace. But even with the moderate speed, there was a lot of good signs on the field, mainly coming from players who were returning to the field. The biggest news of the day was rookie outside linebacker BJ Ojulari, who was taken off the physically unable to perform list. Ojulari was suited up for the first time in camp and participated in drills, along with some reps against the third team offense. Head coach Coach Jonathan Gannon said that there isn't a timetable for Ojulari's return for a game day, but they will have their own process and listen to him on when he is feeling ready to return. Also back in pad is outside linebacker MyJ Sanders, who missed around a week due to a hand injury. His hand was still wrapped up, but he did practice during the day. Two players that have not been as involved in the last week are wide receiver Marquise Brown and running back Keontae Ingram, who were back on the field participating in 11-on-11 drills. Not everyone was a participant, though, mainly coming from the tight end groups. Trey McBride and Noah Tongiai both were not involved on Monday. Some quick notes from Monday's practice is that outside linebacker Jesse Lucetta earned some reps with the first team defense, playing opposite of Zayvon Collins, and rookie wide receiver Michael Wilson was a participant with the punt return group. The Cardinals will be back on the field on Tuesday as they prepare for their first preseason game against the Denver Broncos on Friday. I'm Aaron Decker from the Arizona Cardinals training camp. As you heard Aaron mention there, they activated outside linebacker B.J. Orgelari from the pup list. Uh, he uh, was, a, I think, an elite pass rusher, edge rusher at LSU last season, actually the last few seasons, but especially last year at LSU. And I think he could fit in uh, and be a, an immediate impact if he's able to that, have that kind of edge rushing success. I think that's an area that the Cardinals are looking to shore up, as you heard Aaron mentioned. That's uh, you know, basically it's Zayvon Collins, at least you know, judged on the first couple of weeks of training camp, and uh, you know, he, I think he's the one guy that that seems to be a good spot for him. The other side, not so sure that it's completely all decided, and uh, Ojolari definitely, if healthy, uh, can factor into that. And I would 
if I'm the Cardinals and just you know based on you know, college pedigree and you know, potential in the pros, I would hope that he's the guy that kind of steps up. Now, in case you missed it on Monday, uh, just a few quick observations from the Saturday Cardinals red-white practice uh, that I attended. And uh, and look, first, if you missed it yesterday, I'm pretty certain. It, I, for one thing I am almost certain about is I've witnessed all the public red-white practices the Cardinals have had going back to you know, 2002 uh, when I first got here to cover the Cardinals and among other things on a you know, you know, somewhat of a daily basis. I don't think I've ever seen a smaller crowd than I saw on Saturday at a red-white practice, whether that's because expectations, you know, there are no expectations, I don't think, for many people regarding this team this year, certainly media, fans, etc. Uh, so I wonder if that played a role, but that's the one thing that stood out. On the offensive side of the ball, there's no doubt that ruck, uh, rookie tackle, uh, you know, Paris Johnson Jr., is the starting right tackle ahead of the previous starter, Calvin Beecham. And, of course, Beecham was the only Cardinal offensive lineman to start every game last season. Uh, some other offensive observations. Uh, the players not participating on Saturday. Uh, he mentioned, uh, you know, you heard Aaron mentioned uh, Trey McBride and uh, Conte Ingram. And Ingram back on the field yesterday. I think that's important for him. They signed Marlon Mack last week. I wonder if Ingram's roster spot might be in some danger if he doesn't show something here quickly. And now he's uh, he was back on the field yesterday in the 7-on-7 seven and 11-on-11. Seven 11 on 11. So that's a good thing for Ingram. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. But uh, remember, this administration did not draft Ingram. You know, that was a Steve Kime thing a couple years ago. I actually thought Ingram showed... Some promise last year. I liked him at college, especially when he was at USC. Uh, so we'll see how this goes. But uh, I'm not uh, – you know, the running back position, I'm still kind of surprised the Cardinals you know, didn't really try to shore up that area with a little more depth in uh, the offseason. So maybe that's uh, the Marlon Mack thing. And the fact that Marlon Mack was still out in the street last week – Kind of shows, unfortunately, how fall or how how far he has fallen, at least in the eyes of NFL executives. But I don't have a problem with the Cardinals bringing him in. Why not? Give it a shot. Uh, see if he still got anything. I thought he used to be a pretty good running back in his heyday in Indianapolis. So maybe he can help out here. The starting offensive lineman uh, on Saturday, at least from left to right, were DJ Humphreys, Elijah Wilkinson, uh, center. Uh, I'm going to botch up his name. I, I, I'm going to spell this name. H-J-A-I-B-E. And uh, Froholt is, I believe, how you pronounce the last name. Uh, Will Hernandez at right guard, who was with the Cardinals last year, and also Paris Johnson Jr. Uh, the backfield combination, obviously, Colt McCoy and James Cunner uh, running with the ones. And that's not the case every day for McCoy because he's a, you know, as most veteran quarterbacks in the NFL, they don't participate every day in the uh, training camp practices uh, because of the, you know, they don't want to wear down their arm strength, etc. cetera. Uh, so I'm totally – that, that's, that's kind of a standard policy pretty much around the league. The biggest thing that stood on the defensive side, uh, the preferred first unit uh, you know, defense has three safeties. Uh, for starters, at least, uh, you know, we'll see how this ends up. But, uh, you know, Buda Baker, Jalen Thompson, Isaiah Simmons are all out there with the ones most of the time. 
Thompson more than occasionally lined up as a linebacker than a safety. Also, there were several times where Simmons took second-team reps as a, in a two-safety look, but that appears to be the idea that they want all three of those guys on the field. Baker and Thompson are two of their best players, two of their four or five best players overall, let alone on defense. Actually, I got defense. They're their two best players and certainly have been the last couple of years. So we'll see how this changes with the Cardinals. The first preseason game, of course, Friday night against the uh, against the Denver Broncos. Looks like the Broncos are going to play many of their regulars, including Russell Wilson, a quarterback, according to Sean Payton, who announced that over the weekend. Meanwhile, the Diamondbacks losers in 22 of their last 29 games begin a two-game series tonight against the Dodgers at Chase Field. The pitching matchup tonight scheduled to be Brandon Fott, who is 0-5 with a 7.71 earned run average against Julio Arias, who is 8-6 with a 4.69 earned run average. Wednesday, the listed starters are Merrill Kelly, 9-5 with a 3.21 against Dodger rookie Bobby Miller, who has been dominated at some times and been dominated at some times. Miller, 6-2 with a 4.26 earned run average. Yeah, he was uh, by, considered by some to be their number one pitching prospect before the season started. I don't think anything's changed to, you know, happened uh, that changes that any. So we'll see. The Dodgers, as I mentioned previously, averaging more than six, one, six runs per game since July the 1st. As far as the wild card standings, not the best of days yesterday for the Diamondbacks, uh, especially, uh, you know, if you take in the fact that the Dodgers won again. They're, obviously, the Dodgers not in the wild card race, but San Francisco is. So yesterday, uh, just, let's just kind of review the National League standings is the best way to do this, I think, at this point, because the Dodgers are running away with the West. The Giants are now comfortably ahead in second place in the West, and the Diamondbacks are just trying to hang on. Atlanta, Milwaukee, and the Dodgers, the current division leaders in the National League. Uh, as far as the wild cards right now, they're, uh, San Francisco has 51 losses. They're 62 and 51. That's a half game ahead of Philadelphia, which is 61 and 51. And then the third wild card right now goes to Cincinnati, which is 60 and 55. The Cubs actually lost a game yesterday. They lost at New York against the lowly Mets. Uh, the Cubs now 58-55 and 55 on the season, and the Cubs have uh, won six of their last ten games. Now they actually are out of Wrigley Field for a while. Let's see how they deal with that because they uh, certainly feasted on a bunch of home games, and quite frankly, for a couple of weeks, with the exception of a Red Series uh, and a uh, Braves Series, but especially the Braves, they did win two out of three against the Braves, but the Cubs beat up on some not good teams or teams that had some pitching issues uh, like Cincinnati. And uh, so we'll see if the Cubs can hang on here at uh, 58 and 55 right now. Uh, the uh, Marlins lose yesterday at Cincinnati. So they're now 58 and 56 and the Diamondbacks idle sit, sitting at 57 and 56 out of the wild card mix at least right now, if the season ended today and all that stuff, you know, it's wonderful, you know, expression, etc. One quick ASU thing, uh, ASU head coach Kenny Dillingham has dismissed linebacker Jawan Mitchell from the team. They did not disclose the reason for uh, Mitchell's dismissal, 
I don't think there's any question that he just didn't live up to whatever the culture is, etc. Some of Dillingham's quotes and certainly uh, more than inferred that. Uh, Mitchell was expected to be a starting linebacker for ASU after he transferred from Tennessee. He's a sixth-year linebacker. Played 12 games over a couple of two seasons uh, at uh, Tennessee. Actually played two seasons at Texas before that. He was actually the Texas Longhorns' leading tackler in 19 in 2020. Excuse me. So uh, he was expected to be a starting linebacker for ASU this year, but he is out of here. Uh, no longer on the team. All right, coming up next, we'll have a news update with Corey. That'll be followed by the conclusion of today's Sports Zone with the National Roundup. That'll include uh, from uh, some from the NF MLB scoreboard and whatever else we can you know, kind of uh, cram into a final segment of today's outstanding one-hour radio program to all the sports zone. Don't forget, uh, tomorrow we come back with a th- uh, full three hours of local radio programming in the morning with the uh, Sports Zone from 9 to 10, and then the Extra Point hosted by Kayla from 10 to noon. Tomorrow we'll preview the Washington football team. I don't even know what we're supposed to call them anymore, so I'm just going to go back to the Washington football team. They're still officially the commanders. Okay, great. They need to get a new, like the politicians or something, they should do that. And then, of course, from 10 to noon, it'll be the Extra Point hosted by Kayla, and we'll preview the Atlanta Falcons uh, during the the, uh, Extra Point tomorrow. All right, welcome back. Final segment of today's Sports Zone. I got to hustle it up. I always do this in this hour, this on Tuesday for some reason, but that's the way it goes. Final segment of the Sports Zone today on KDUS AM 1060 and Castle X HD 2 100.7. As always, we thank you for listening. Special thanks to the callers, emailers, tweeters, texters, whomever, and whatever else uh, slipped through the cracks. Also, our guest today, ASU, U of A, and basically Pac-12 to the Big 12 discussion with Doug Haller from The Athletic. Excellent perspective, as always, from Doug. Wednesday, once again, we'll continue our NFL team previews at 9-15 with Washington, 10-15 with Atlanta. Sound of the day courtesy of ESPNU. Fox, CBS, Major League Baseball, and WTAM, the uh, Guardians flagship station. Then once again, that great Tom Hamilton call on Down Goes, Down Goes Anderson. Uh, special thanks, as always, to Kayla, Corey, and Aaron. All right, let me hustle up there, uh, through the baseball scoreboard from last night. The Dodgers further humiliated the Padres yesterday. The Dodgers, after falling down 5-0 after three innings, scored the next 13 runs including the uh, eight-run fourth inning. Mookie Butts hit a home run to basically cap off that uh, on a 3-0 pitch, a grand slam home run for Mookie Butts. Once again, a 3-0 pitch, and was watching that game live on Padres TV and Mark Grant. Before that pitch, their uh, radio, excuse me, their uh, television commentator said, you know, be careful is what he said, and then a 3-0 pitch, and, yeah, Mookie hit it out of the park because he was swinging on 3-0. So the Dodgers ended up winning that game 13-7 yesterday. Uh, they won three out of four in the series at San Diego. They're now 8-2 this season against the Padres. The Padres play bad defense. Some questionable effort after the, uh, laters, uh, the latest Dodgers onslaught yesterday. By the way, the Padres have 34 games remaining. 
against teams above 500. That is by far the most games above 500 of any of the alleged NFL and uh, the uh, NL, excuse me, National League playoff contenders. The Giants extended their lead over the Diamondbacks last night. Patrick Bailey got the Giants go-ahead double, two runs and uh, two-run double in the ninth inning, which was basically a horrendously played ball in left field by the Angels' Randall Gritchick, who they acquired last week. And he can't play defense. I don't know if the Angels knew that or not, but he could, certainly couldn't play defense yesterday. That was a terrible play. So the Giants got six runs in the ninth inning yesterday and defeated the Angels 8-3 to in that particular game. Mike Trout who, by the way, turned 32 on Tuesday, uh, nearing a return from a broken hand, of course, and unfortunately. The Angels just continue to lose games, and not surprisingly, at least to me, uh, the most ignorant franchise in baseball as far as baseball decisions for pretty close to a decade now made another huge mistake by trying to buy before the trade deadline and they actually, as we said a year ago at this time, should have actually traded Otani then. All right, that's it for the Sports Zone for today. We'll return on Wednesday, full three hours of local programming once again, beginning with the Sports Zone from 9 to 10. Be the extra point hosted by Kayla from 10 to noon. This has been the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp. Thank you very much for listening and have a great rest of your day. <laughs>